You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Evan Banks. And I'm Emily Ashenfelter. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's May 6th. Russia's war has forced millions of people to flee Ukraine, the most sudden evacuation from a European country since World War II. Detailed, real-time data could help host countries better anticipate the services and support that refugees need, everything from housing and health care to education and employment. But getting high-quality, real-time data can be difficult. A few years ago, researchers from RAND and RAND Europe began working on a way to better track migrant numbers. They do it by tapping into one of the largest information-gathering operations on the planet, Facebook. According to Steen Horens, who leads the project, quote, It's really hard to make good policy decisions using existing statistics. You need accurate, complete, and particularly recent data. These are pretty much absent in the context of migration. That's where tapping into Facebook's trove of data comes in. The platform's 2.9 billion monthly users freely provide data that government statisticians could only dream of having. One particular data point, which Facebook users might recognize as places lived, gave researchers just what they were looking for. It's a measure of users whose geolocation puts them in one place, but whose profile shows that they have lived in another. When paired with other data points like age and gender, and with a heavy dose of probability theory and mathematical modeling, the researchers found it could provide a signal for how migration numbers were rising or falling in a given state or country. They're still working on refining this approach, but as a test of what's possible, this method has already shown the value of looking beyond traditional statistics, especially when data is changing by the day or week and not by the year. Results from a new RAND survey provide valuable insights into the needs of people experiencing homelessness in Los Angeles, specifically those in Skid Row, Venice, and Hollywood. The survey, which was conducted over a four-month period, revealed that this population is almost universally interested in obtaining housing. But about half of those we surveyed remain on the streets, despite having been offered housing in the past. So what might explain this? Our results show that the type of housing offered to those who are unsheltered matters a great deal. For instance, around 80% of respondents said that they would accept a private room in a shelter or hotel, a permanent stay in a motel or hotel-like setting, or permanent supportive housing. About half would accept interim housing with access to services, shared housing, or safe camping. And less than one-third said that they would accept a group shelter or a recovery or sober living housing offer. This strong preference for private housing suggests that expanding shelter capacity in the city, as some policymakers have proposed, may do little to move unhoused people off the streets. The study authors hope that the results from this detailed survey will help policymakers in developing effective strategies to address homelessness in Los Angeles County. More than 100,000 Americans died from a drug overdose in 2021. That's double the number who died in 2015. The reason for this surge in death is not so much that more Americans are using drugs, but that the supply of illegal drugs is becoming increasingly toxic thanks to fentanyl and other synthetic opioids. 
Around 2014, dealers and traffickers introduced illegally manufactured fentanyl into the market, initially concealing it as heroin and eventually pressing it into tablets made to look like genuine prescription medication. According to RAND experts, new approaches are needed to stem this crisis. Traditionally, drug policies have focused on shrinking the population of drug users either indirectly by reducing their consumption through elevated prices or directly by transitioning users into drug treatment programs. While these interventions have worked to some degree, they are increasingly limited by the greater lethality of today's street drugs. That's why a greater focus on harm reduction may be what's needed now. One harm reduction strategy is to get naloxone, which can help reverse opioid overdoses, into the hands of those who need it. Another way of reducing the harm caused by more potent drugs is to give consumers more knowledge of what they're taking. This includes drug content testing, such as the use of inexpensive test strips to detect fentanyl that might be concealed in powder drugs, including cocaine and heroin. Changing the messaging around drug use is also important. Such messaging could raise awareness of the presence of fentanyl in the drug supply, which in turn could encourage individuals to consume street-sourced drugs with a trusted friend or to use with naloxone on hand. While reducing the population of those who consume street-sourced drugs is critical, an increased focus on reducing the ever-growing lethality of such drugs is urgently necessary to save lives. Burnout among healthcare providers poses a critical threat to mental and behavioral health care. In a new report, RAND researchers document what is known about burnout, demonstrate its prevalence in healthcare facilities, evaluate potential risk factors, and consider approaches for addressing burnout among military healthcare professionals. First, here's how the report defines burnout chronic occupational related stress, emotional exhaustion, disengagement, depersonalization, anhedonia, that's the inability to feel pleasure, and hopelessness. Here are some of the author's key findings. There is wide variation in prevalence estimates of burnout among U.S.-based healthcare providers. This variation might reflect reality, or it might be the byproduct of using a variety of different measures to assess burnout. Workplace factors, such as workload, work-life balance, job autonomy, and perceived support from leadership show associations with risk for burnout. Mental health problems such as anxiety and health risks such as physical health problems and lack of sleep might also be associated with risk of burnout, but it's unclear whether burnout exacerbates health issues or vice versa. Factors such as exercise, perceptions of control, and social support appear to have a protective effect over burnout. And finally, the evidence base on interventions to prevent or mitigate burnout is vast, and numerous solutions have been suggested. However, evidence is significantly more limited within military settings. The U.S. has proved vulnerable to cyber incidents, and a lack of response has emboldened America's adversaries to expand their cyber espionage activities. To identify opportunities for the U.S. to improve its responses in the future, a new RAND report looks at cyber espionage incidents by both Russia and China, dating back to the compromise of multiple government agencies in the late 1990s and up to the 2015 compromise of the Office of Personnel Management. 
The authors find that historically, U.S. policymakers have considered a narrow set of response options, often concluding that not much can be done beyond trying to improve network defenses against cyber espionage, because the U.S. quote does it too. The authors recommend that the U.S. broaden its cyber response options. For one, it could increase its focus on diplomatic engagement, including working with partners and allies to call out malicious cyber behavior. The government could also expand the use of active defense measures to root out adversaries, and it could employ more sophisticated counterintelligence techniques, such as deception, to decrease the benefits that adversaries derive from cyber espionage. Rand is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more on today's episode, check the show notes at rand.org/podcast. We'll see you next week. 